Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm the founder of The Mindful Coach Association created the Mindful Coach Method for helping coaches learn to be more mindful and present. Whole long list of stuff that I do, but that's unimportant. What's important is what are we feeling right now? What's going on in your world as you're listening to me? How are you doing? What's it like to be you? And if you take your attention and you turn to that question and you simply pay attention on purpose in the moment to the thoughts and feelings, the sensations that are going on in you as we are here in this moment, then lo and behold, you're having a mindful moment. And for some people, that's like, oh, wow, thank you. And for other people, it's like, ah, <laughs> anything but becoming more present with what's actually my feelings. And no harm, no foul, right? Let the truth of it be what it is. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's not. But it is what it is. And as we begin to develop the capacity to look inward, and acknowledge the truth of our experience. And I would take this even a step further, which I do with coaches and the Mindful Coach Method and my clients. Give voice to that experience. Then we begin to create a level of authority of authorization to spin by that I don't mean authority in the traditional sense of someone who has authority over another person I mean the authority that comes from the capacity to speak the truth about your experience and to make decisions from that informed place consider that for a moment consider the alternative What happens in your life if you make decisions from a place that isn't connected to what's actually going on for you? But instead, perhaps some idea, oh, I want to achieve the next salary bump. I want to achieve a title. I want to be recognized. I want to be seen. I want to be loved for the objects that I have, if I can get this car, if I can wear this jewelry, if I can look this way, if I can have this face, then perhaps I'll be appreciated and that's my objective. But really what's going on inside is something else that's longing to be seen, appreciated, known. And the striving to achieve those things can create 
disconnections in us that can be very harmful, not only to ourselves, but to the world. We can wind up taking actions that are harmful to us in pursuit of an idea because we're not connected to our actual in-the-moment experience. Now, maybe that in-the-moment experience is, I don't feel good enough. But underneath that, on the flip side of that, is... I want to be more whole. And if you connect to the urge to be more healthy, more whole, and kind of subtract a little bit about your ideas around what that might be, just connect to the intention, to the feeling that within me is a desire and not only that, a longing, and even the knowing that I deserve to have a healthy, more robust life that I can actually thrive in. And we all have that within us because we are organic beings. We are, we're built within us the capacity to heal ourselves. If you injure your arm, you break your leg, you get a wound of any sort, your body will automatically organize around how to heal that wounded part. And I believe, similarly, our emotion, our emotional body, and, and our, you know, think of it this way, some people call it an energy body, but the, the way that our system delegates the energy that's available to it. So, and one form of energy is attention. So how much energy, I mean literally energy, electromechanic, electrical energy in your brain, where does that get directed to? And we make decisions similarly around our inner woundedness and also around our inner health. And so, when we're wounded, the system marshals resources to those wounded places. You can see swelling happen whenever you know you injure yourself very often, or it gets red as the system brings additional blood and other nutrients and fluids into a wounded area so that it can heal. Similarly, when you get emotionally wounded, you're, you're, you will begin to bring energy into, well, what's that about? How's that feel? What can I do? How can I compensate? How can I adjust additional energy into this woundedness? How can I make my world, how can I be in a world where I am now a wounded person? Consider, for example, what happens when you're talking to someone who has had some kind of a emotional injury around a topic and you bring it up with them. This is, you know, someone you might call them being touchy or sensitive and person might be reactive. It's like you say something to them like, um, gee, you know, I, I, I didn't really feel like that. You, you cooked that uh, meal as well as it could be and they go, well, what's it to you? You know, you don't know and I don't, and I've got this stuff going on and suddenly they're over the top reaction because he says something critical and maybe not very skillful and they overreact. Well, where's all that energy coming from? 
That's the system protecting itself, protecting the wound. No different than if I had an injured arm and there was a bruise or a scrape here and you bump against it someone and they pull back with extra energy. They pull away with forcefully to, to protect the wound. This is the same emotionally as it is physically. Now I'm saying all this to tell a little story. When I was a young man, I was in this relationship that was just crazy about this girl. And it was one of those kind of scenarios where I was just kind of all in my heart and my mind. And I was just all about this relationship. And I thought things were going really well. However, as is often the case, things weren't exactly the same on the other side of the table, so to speak. One day, she invited me to a, a dinner at a very uh, upscale restaurant, which was interesting in and of itself. She had a tendency to be a little extravagant beyond her means at times. And so we were at this place and we were having like the third course and she looked at me and she told me some very unexpected news that she wanted the relationship to end. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> there was a lot of non sequiturs here. First of all, everything seemed to be going fine. And suddenly the rug gets stripped out from under me. Plus, we're in the third course of a <laughs> very expensive meal. <laughs> And, you know, suddenly I'm not hungry. So there was a lot of non sequiturs like, what the heck? So clearly I was uh, pretty devastated by this. And I, um, you know, we didn't finish the meal. I was pretty upset and could not understand where she was coming from. Did not get it at all. And didn't see it coming. This is literally a blindside. And so the next day, I'm, I woke up, and I'm, I'm just a train wreck. I'm just, you know, I'm sobbing, and I just can't get over it. My heart is literally broken. In fact, my a therapist that I went to later said, shredded. <laughs> wow, the shredded heart. Lucky, lucky me to bring that metaphor alive. And so, you know, now, I was no spring chicken. I was about early 30s, late 20s, and I had been through some a broken heart or two before, so I kind of knew the map. But this was, and I had had some bad ones, but this was like, what is happening here? I was deep into some kind of, uh, I don't know what to call it, some kind of a pit of despair that just seemed to have no end. And um, I lost my job. <laughs> I, was, I was the vice president of a software company, a um, small software company, and we were making banking software. And at that time, I was just so out of it, I couldn't function. I wasn't able to function. And so I was like, literally woke up one morning and said, all right, I need professional help. 
this is not getting better. What am I going to do? And so I didn't know what to do, but I thought, well, okay, there are people who are trained to help others. And so I looked up um, some therapists in the area and I happened to live in Boulder, Colorado, which is uh, replete with therapists. And I picked one guy, uh, really therapeutic looking character <laughs> with a beard and a goatee and he was French. And so I thought, oh, this looks like the perfect therapist, right? So I went to see this guy and he was uh, very soft-spoken, very present. And I'm talking to him and we're only about oh, 20 minutes in and I'm explaining the situation and how devastated I am and going through some emotions and stuff. And as I'm doing this, I, he, he says to me, well, did you notice that as you're talking, you're making a fist with your hand, kind of very gently, but you're making a fist and relaxing it and making a fist and relaxing it. And I was holding that by my stomach as I was talking. Now, I had not noticed that at all. I was just telling him, I'm going, what does that have to do with what, you know, I'm, my intellectual mind? I'm going, wait, what? I don't care about that. I'm thinking, here's what's going on. I need for you to help me. And um, he says, just hold on for a moment. I want you to just really pay attention to that hand. I was going, oh, okay. And I had been a meditation instructor and had done some other work and in body work and things like that. So I was game for a little experiment. And he said, so what, what do you think your fist is trying to tell you? And he kept, you know, he said fist rather than like your hand, right? And I'm going, well, I don't know. And I, so I just kind of said, well, turn your senses, turn your feeling into it and just kind of tune in and see if, if there's a word or a feeling or a sensation that comes up by paying attention to this. Not trying to make anything happen, but just noticing what goes on all by itself when you pay attention to what's happening. So I, I'm paying attention. I'm trying not to reproduce it mechanically, but actually kind of think about what I was thinking and saying some of the things in my mind that I was saying. And then, yeah, sure enough, there's this fist that wants to happen. And then right behind it, there was like, oh, all this, I could get, I could feel myself getting angry. I mean, there was anger at like, how, you know, why did you break up this great relationship? But this was bigger than that. And I thought, in fact, it didn't really even seem to have anything to do with it in some ways. And I'm going like, what is that about? It's going, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that all this angst about your relationship, all this heartbreak is somehow connected to this anger. Now that, that right there was a very deep insight that helped me understand that there's something more going on here than just my feelings about this breakup. And it was something that I was not aware of before. It was, there's this energy in it that doesn't really have anything to do with this relationship. It's just kind of tagging along. And it's providing this nuclear fuel that's amplifying the feeling so much. 
But behind this, this, this anger was a lot of energy. And so we began to explore that, and there was a lot to unpack. Now, this was psychotherapy, so we went into some pretty deep stuff around the way that I was brought up and um, a lot of the um, victimization, you could say, I had at the hands of um, others and my parents. But in a certain way, this was me being victimized by my Pre my relationship, and it was bringing up all this other other ways that I had this unexpressed anger about how I was cut off, cut short, denied, put down, and otherwise not allowed to step into what seemed like a rich relationship in this case, or in other cases, you know, not safe to be in the school that you're at or not safe to be um, around certain people or families or friends even in some cases. Wow. And when I began to separate these things out, I began to realize that if I was to just take the anger aspect of this and work that piece individually, that allowed me to get a handle on my heartbreak, legitimate heartbreak around my relationship. I say a handle. It just made it, instead of appearing like this gigantic, out-of-control thing, it suddenly becomes something that I can manage better because it's not in person. It doesn't have this other energy in it that I couldn't discern where it was coming from. So it's kind of like all this, all this unresolved energy in me, all these unresolved issues was, had a single mask on, but really there was about four, three or four things in there. And once I was able to correctly discern the truth about what the blend of this, these energies, they all became something that I could begin to deal with appropriately. There's a thing in um, mystical languages, uh, you know, fantasy, for example, um, a thing called the true name. And it's like the true name of something has power. Uh, so I remember reading about magic and uh, in the lore that, you know, you would have a name, but then there was the true name. And if you knew the true name, of the, you would actually have some authority or power, not necessarily over, but in some cases, even over the, the other being, because you could see the truth of it. You could speak its truth. And so the, the message here is similar to that. It's like once you know the true name, you can see the truth of these things, you begin to have some capacity to know what they are, in fact, and then you can deal with them rightly. Now, what does all this have to do with mindful coaching? Well, I was blown away by this technique of, oh my God, he just by pointing his hand, my attention to my this hand, he I I was able to unpack a whole bunch of stuff in my life. Wow. That was so powerful. And uh, I had I said, I gotta know everything there is to know about this. What is this? And he said, Oh well that's that's a thing I learned from a school called Hakomi, which is a form of mindful somatic psychotherapy. And as it turns out, they were teaching that 
right in Boulder. Uh, and so I thought, whoa, I've got to go. So I started to study um, Hakomi, and I was still at a technical job. I was doing other technical work at the time. And But yet my heart was all in on this stuff, and I was trying to, of course, work this to heal myself, but I was also learning how to be really present in the same way he was with me, with other people. And so many, many hours of training and being across from others, noticing what's going on for them, learning character maps, learning how to be present with other people in a way that just your presence facilitates their process. That was one of the big learnings. It's, it's oftentimes, it's not so much what you do, but how you show up that makes things happen. That's the first part of a big learning. And so I was went pretty far with this in terms of studying it, and I didn't get trained as a psychotherapist, but I was always had a deep fascination with how things work. And this was uh, a continuing inquiry on my part about how do people work? How does all this fit together? And, and it was exceptionally valuable to me as a person, as a human, to have learned this because I not only could help myself, I could help other people. I continued my studies in somatic psychotherapy um, later uh, with Recreation of the Self by John Eisman and retaking the whole Okomi process all over again at the Portland Center called the Meta Center. I think it's Mindful Experiential Therapeutic Approaches. That center closed, um, but I had amazing experiences there. And in that training, there was this brilliant coach therapist, <laughs> John Eisman, and he, he said something in this training that uh, I'll never forget, and it helped me understand how... All of this could be applied for coaching. He said in one of his, in his method, the recreation of the self, one of the agendas was, not agendas, that's probably the wrong word, but I should say orientations, is facilitate towards resourcefulness. Facilitate towards resourcefulness. And when I heard that, a light bulb went off. I said, well, that's how you use these same techniques which often go deep into our emotional wounding, which is great work for a therapist. Um, but if you're a coach, you, you don't necessarily want to lean into that side of things with your clients if you can find another avenue. And how do you do that? And I thought, well, that's the how. You facilitate towards resourcefulness. So if you have that kind of an orientation in your coaching where you're, you're leaning into how can I bring resources online for this client, and you combine that with these somatic techniques, so suddenly you've got a blueprint for a really powerful means to connect people to what I would call their natural allies, the natural resilience. And once they inhabit that resilience and those allies, then you look back on your problem. And it's what I say when I, in the method that I teach, the Mindful Coach Method, is your problems don't go away. They just get smaller because you get bigger. And so when you connect with the truth of who you fundamentally are, that's easy to say, 
and exceptionally powerful to do and kind of hard sometimes to do. But when you really feel that in your bones and you know that and you learn to speak and act from that place, you become somewhat undeniable in the sense that I'm speaking from the truth of my experience. And this is where we started. Speaking from the truth of your experience. And someone else can say, well, that's not true for you. And you're going to go, okay, well, okay, whatever. You know, it's not really changing anything for you, right? So when you speak from the truth of your experience, not saying, you know, I'm a fifth degree black belt and therefore I'm competent, but rather I have within me a capacity to be skillful physically with others. And that's something I carry within me. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's the truth. It's a, it's a fact of my experience. that I have this lived experience of being in thousands and thousands of interactions with other people in a particular way. And that informs the way that I move through space and the way I relate to other beings as as bodies on the planet. So when you approach me in a certain way, I respond in a well-informed way. Not, well, you're like this, and so point A to point B, and now here's the fulcrum point, and I'm going to take a breath and get to my center. Not an intellectual way, but an embodied way. The truth of that is, quote-unquote, undeniable when you're, when you're living in it, when you're speaking in it, when you're acting in it. If you can connect to your own heart and soul of who you are in that way and make decisions about who you are, what you do, and as a coach, you know, what your niche is, and as a, you know, as a person, kind of like, what's your, what's your secret sauce? What do you bring to the world that's unique? Where do you draw healthy boundaries and how do you abide by them? How do you engage in difficult conversations? How do you face challenging workplace scenarios? All the things in life that we have to deal with from this more connected place. That is such important work that I created the Mindful Coach Method to help coaches learn to do it. And so the Mindful Coach Method is this who am I as a coach? Bringing your own mindful presence into your relationship to create trust and rapport with people so that you get the other person, your client, to feel and sense and and say yes to the relationship in such a way that they're willing to take chances with you to go places they haven't gone before. And then to learn to somatically bring into awareness for the client their natural strengths and resiliences and allies. Not, let, I mean, they're going to tell you about it, but you're going to, I, I give you an example. I was uh, doing a, uh, a webinar and um, I was talking about this very thing and I said, let me have someone 
talked to me, and this woman spoke up. And she said, so um, I'm at my parents' house on the beach, and I'm looking out at this. The, the window here is just beautiful. And then you could see what she said, just beautiful. She just took a breath, and she was, it's just beautiful. And I didn't know what she was going to say. I didn't know what her problem was or what issue she wanted to talk about. But I just said, let's just stop right there. She said, okay. And, I, and what I said was, so there's something about you and beauty. And she just looked at me, tilted her head, and nodded and said, yes. And that kind of a yes is a very full-bodied yes, a very somatically informed yes. You could see her making a decision like, he sees me. And whenever I said that, you could see that was the very beginnings. We were only like 15 seconds into the conversation of building authentic trust and rapport because of the way she lit up around her connection to beauty and then me stopping and pausing there and going, I see that, I see you. And because I, could, I, I had the training to do that, it created the opportunity for us to connect in that moment in a very luscious kind of rich space of I see you, I appreciate beauty too. Here we are together doing this work. And everything just got really still and slow right then and there. And then suddenly there wasn't anything else to do. I had made my point about creating a moment where just acknowledging the truth of her experience and letting her land in that as someone who enjoys and beauty goes deep with her, that's a natural ally, natural resource for her. If you were to bring that capacity into your workplace, into whatever you do, you're feeling, I connect, I'm someone who connects to all this, I know that about myself, and you're feeling that all the time, where then do you see beauty? You see it almost everywhere, and so you're constantly in touch with a very natural resource for you that provides for you a great deal of resilience under stress. And that's what we need a lot of these days, resilience under stress, because there's a lot of stress. <laughs> and so that's how I got wired into somatic work and decided to begin to create this, uh, this method to teach coaches how to do somatic work, mindful somatic work. And in the process, I took the inner MBA. Of course, what sounds true. And one of the cool things about the inner MBA class um, is that they let you, the members, could put a course on the community calendar. And so I put up a course called, well, as I said, say a meeting, not a course, but a meeting uh, for mindful coaches. I said, hey, mindful coaches, come and join this thing. We're called the Mindful Coaches Corner. And wow, we had a really good turnout. I was surprised. And so we had... I think I've got about 150, 160 people registered over a period of uh, six or eight months for that meeting. And we had just the best feedback about it. People loved the class or it wasn't class. They loved the meeting because we would just come and connect and talk about what's it like to be a coach in the world these days, a mindful coach. And, and after it was over, I just kept them going. And then in one of these uh, sessions... People were talking about the work that they're doing, and I'm just listening to this fabulous work that these coaches are doing. One is a doctor who's working with immigrants. I did Larissa Chapman. I did a, a, a podcast with her. Um, 
um, and there are many, many others that were so expiring. And then uh, Alex came on and he started talking about the work that he was doing in the LBGTQ plus community. And I just thought, you know what? People need to find out about this work. People need to know that there is a tremendous amount of amazing work going on by these courageous and brave coaches going out there and doing the hard work of stepping into these communities where people need the help. And that includes executives all the way down to the toughest, most difficult populations you can imagine. And it's so inspiring. I thought... People just have to find out. So that's why I said I'm going to start the Mindful Coach podcast and the Mindful Coach Association so that we can elevate the voices of these coaches. And if you listen to the other shows and the Mindful Coach podcast, mostly it's about these other coaches and the work that they're doing because I find it so inspiring, and I hope that you do too, to hear not only their stories, but their mission in life. And how they go about connecting to this deeper part of them that wants the world to be a better place, wants to relieve suffering, and is committed to making a difference in a bigger way. And I thought, well, there's nothing more important that I can do than help that along. And so for those reasons, I've got the Mindful Coach Association, the Mindful Coach Podcast, the Mindful Coach Method. And it is my hope that if you're listening to this and you're inspired or aligned with this kind of um, this kind of work that you'll join the mindful coach association it's free absolutely free to join and you can be invited to meet these people and share your story ask for the help that you need offer the help that you have it doesn't cost you a dime now of course i'm happy to accept contributions to pay for the services that make it all happen and to grow because we want the organization to grow and we're, we're doing reasonably well considering that it's a, you know, a bootstrapped organization. There's no corporate sponsorship. There's no, you know, this isn't 25 people behind the scenes making it happen. It's just me and some inspired folk who are collaborating and, and having a great time learning how to, to support each other in this work. And we need your voice. We need your participation and your presence. So we can hear about the work that you're doing or the work that you'd like to do. So if you're a new coach and you're, and you're looking for guidance, you're looking for, for mentors, this is a great place to be. So check it out, mindfulcoachassociation.com. Sign up there, absolutely free. You will not be pitched on, well, if you only take this, then you can be a mastermind for $10,000. None of that. Now, I do let people know about my class, The Mindful Coach Method, because it's for coaches to help them learn to do the kind of work that, I had, that I've talked about today. Because I believe passionately that that's the work that needs to happen in this crazy VUCA world, right? Volatile, uncertain, chaotic, ambiguous. So with these kinds of influences in our world, learning to be more mindful and present, learning to be more connected to the truth of who you are, and learning to speak and act from that place is exactly the work that needs to happen 
to help us as a race, as a species, as a people, as persons in our be, create lives where we can thrive, we can have each other's back, we can learn to create organizations that embrace personhood rather than profits or solely profits. And when we do that, the world will be a much better place. Now, you, a lot of people roll their eyes and go, oh, well, that's just never going to happen because it's, we're so institutionalized in other ways. And it's true, we do have tons of momentum and entrenched ways of being around the way organizations are created. But I'm here to tell you that that is changing faster than you may realize. The great resignation, COVID did us a favor in a lot of ways, and, and, and pardon um, for those who have suffered so greatly. There was another one, which was to cause people to reflect on, what am I doing? What really matters in the world? What, what am I doing at work? Why am I even doing this work? This is toxic to me. Or maybe not toxic, but it's not helping me in any way. And so we have this big mass the mass resignation, the big resignation. And people are beginning to say, I have to have meaningful work. I have to have meaningful work that is not negotiable. And there are business owners who are realigning and going, you know what? We have to do better. And they're looking for ways. And some of that's clumsy to begin with. Some of it is just, oh, we're going to bolt on a mindfulness program into our corporate thing and just check the box. Yep, we're doing mindfulness. Yay, aren't we great? So it's, how should I say, it's, it's not fully informed. But at least it's a box that got checked and the impact of those programs are still potentially positive for the people who participate in them. It's not what they, it's kind of interesting because and I, I have this notion that sometimes a company might add a mindfulness program, bring people into it. They get more mindful and realize, you know what? This place is really toxic. I have to get out of here. <laughs> they create people who can stand up for, um, set, that set healthy boundaries. And then on the other hand, it can help to create the very people that we need to create the organizations that have a bigger vision. And that is happening. And it's happening, like I said, in a bigger way. And that's the purpose of the Mindful Coach Association. That we can, as a group, collect, get together, meet each other, help each other, support each other. And then the Mindful Coach method to help coaches who want to learn to do mindful somatic work one-on-one -on -one in a very specialized framework that I've created called uh, the Somatic Insight Cycle and some other fabulous details. So check that out as well, the mindfulcoachmethod.com. There's a new class coming up in September. And um, it's, you know, this isn't like FOMO, but it's fear missing out. But it's like there is a limited number of people that I can actually work with in a, in a segment. And if you're called at all, to that um just get to me check with me and see uh let's talk and see if it's uh, something that might suit you you can also go to themindfulcoach.com which is my main website there's a free seven day email lessons and and practices that you can do that's designed to help coaches learn to be more mindful and present in their work 
specifically if you've already had mindfulness training. That's kind of like, wait, I've already had mindfulness training. Why do I need to be more? And it is because we're talking about mindfulness in the context of being a coach rather than being sitting on the cushion. Now, those, that's all good. I'm not trying in any way to say that that's not good work, but there's contextual elements here that matter, relational elements. And so there's a difference. So you can learn about some of those differences and about a thing called somatic state shifts and what they mean uh, and how important they are in that uh, free seven-day sequence at themindfulcoach.com. So I wanted to record this particular episode to give you some background on the Mindful Coach, which you might say is my brand, the Mindful Coach, and all the things that are going on there, the mindfulcoach.com, Mindful Coach Method, the Mindful Coach Association. And it's my hope that you're aligned with this in some way. And if you are, please, let's connect. And I hope to see you in one of the meetings. And, um, and of course, it would be appropriate, I think, to take a breath and go, what's up for you now? What's it like for you to be you right now? And if it's possible in your world, wherever you are, to either have a, a thought or a feeling or look or, and see something nice, something simple, a color, a sound, a memory that brings into you a sense of well-being, of safety, of connectedness. And just let that be so. I often just look at the clouds or the sky or a tree and just be with that experience of looking and let that inform my entire system. And then take a breath and bring that forward into your very next thing, to your next action, into your next engagement. So that you're bringing with you something other than just a stream of one thought to another, but a connectedness, connected to something deeper. And see if that changes the way you interact, what you say, what you hear, because I believe it will. Blessings to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Till next week. This is Brett with the Mindful Coach Podcast. Thanks. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation, and if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.